Well, again, good morning. Welcome to St. John. My name is Dion. If uh, you weren't here at the beginning, I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online too. As we begin a brand new series called This Is Us, where we are rediscovering what it means to be family. And I'm so excited to begin this series today. I think it's so important and uh, I hope it'll be life-changing for you. So uh, let's dive in. This is Karen. Uh, Karen in this picture is 17 years old. As you can see, she's, uh, she's very beautiful. Uh, what you don't know about her is that she's also creative. She is artistic. She is a free spirit. She designs and makes her own clothes, does it all herself. Um, she's really an impressive person. But she can be kind of a wallflower because at home things haven't always been great. Uh, just a couple of years before this picture was taken, her parents divorced after years of, of having a rocky marriage, leaving her and her fraternal twin brother with a young additional brother and sister to help care for. And so even though she's got a great heart and a great spirit, sometimes she's withdrawn. She's kind of introverted. Uh, she has a deep fear of being rejected, of being abandoned. And uh, so that kind of keeps her quiet and withdrawn. Now, this is Stephen. Uh, he actually doesn't go by Stephen. He goes by his middle name, which is Doyle. Uh, he's one of seven kids. He's also 17 in this picture around there. Uh, he's one of seven kids. And uh, in his family, something tragic happened early on. His oldest sister died as a child, as a young child, before he was ever born. Uh, and yet that shifted the dynamic of his family. It changed his mother forever, uh, as some of you understand all too well. And so he grew up under that, and, and there were some other things in his household. Um, he grew up to be a creative and artistic person, too. That's what, one thing that they have in common. He's also incredibly brilliant and mathematical. Um, but because of some of the stuff that happened in his life, instead of withdrawing, um, he's kind of wild. He's a bit of a rebel. In 1971... Doyle meets Karen again through some mutual friends and immediately there's a spark, there's a connection. A short time later, they move in together. By 1973, they're getting married while she is three months pregnant with their first child, a daughter who was born later named Hyacinth. Yes, Hyacinth. They wanted to prove to all the world that they are in fact hippies. So they named their daughter Hyacinth, which, in case you don't know, is the name of an actual flower. They are flower children, and they had a flower child. Uh, three years later, they gave birth to a son. Uh, 17 months after that, they gave birth to another daughter named Dana. Now, if you haven't figured this out yet, this is me, the only son of this family of five, and this is us. This is the family that I know, the family that formed me, the family that I grew up in, and, and this was my only us for quite a while, but fast forward a few years, I want to introduce you to Jocelyn. This is Jocelyn. Um, at the time there, she's maybe uh, early 20s, but in, in 1996, she was 17 years old, 17-year-old college freshman, and um, she came onto her college campus and was immediately smitten by a strikingly handsome college sophomore. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> Nothing funny that I've said yet. Uh, named Dion. Um, and then 20 years later after that meeting, they have, they're married, they have three kids, Ellie, Aria, and Corbin, and now this is us. Uh, this, is, this is my primary us. And I'll just tell you, I love, I love this us. It's not to say it's easy though. I mean, it's never easy. And in fact, that's the thing about families is that families aren't easy. There's, there are a few things in life that can bring so much joy and pain at the same time. There are a few things in life that are as rewarding and uh, punishing as being a part of a family. Am I right? 
And that's what makes talking about family in church so difficult. You would think it would be an easy thing for us to do. And yet, when we talk about our families, when we talk about our us, there's all kinds of different pictures of how this looks for us. All of our families look different. And so uh, maybe the family that you came from, it, it brings up all kinds of stuff in that family and some pain and some difficulty that you experienced in that family growing up. Or maybe you're still growing up in that family. And then for some of us, the us that we might be a part of today, it's not, it's not the picture that we dreamed about. It's not what we imagined for ourselves. And then there are some of us who, who dreamed of a family that we've never been able to have at all. It's a dream that we're waiting to realize, and yet it hasn't happened for us, and maybe it'll never happen for us. And so even though you, know, you think about church, and a church is a place for families, and here we are in this community that is so family-focused, it's not easy to talk about families, Because all of our families look so different, they are so different, and there's this combination of beauty and disaster and joy and pain wrapped up in each and every one of our families. And so some people would wonder, why talk about family at all? It just makes people feel bad, it leaves some people feeling excluded. Why do we have gotta talk about this stuff at all? And really there, there are two reasons. The first reason is that families are the building blocks of society. This is just kind of a basic sociological truth. That families are the building blocks of society. So if you look at society and it's unhealthy, the way to heal society is not through better policy or through better health care or better, you know, whatever else, education. Those things can all help. But, but truly, if you want to heal society, a society that's broken or diseased, you've got to start here because families are the building blocks of society. That's not a moral opinion. That is a sociological opinion. It's just basic fact. But on a more personal level, here's what's true, and here's why this is true. Your us influences you more than you realize. See, it doesn't matter if you're a 70-year-old man who's left home a long time ago. The place you grew up, that family that you were born into, it influences you still more than you probably realize. So why do we have to talk about families? Because if we want a whole society, if we want whole people, if we want to be whole people then the best thing we can do is to cultivate whole families. Now, now here's the truth about families. Not only are they rewarding and painful and joyful and difficult, but here's the truth about families, that no matter what your family looks like, no matter how different it might look from mine, and by the way, I'll just state right up front that even though my family, you know, I've got two parents that are married to each other and three kids, like our family is far from ideal. We are far from perfect. So if you're feeling the weight of that, that your family's not perfect, join the club, okay? That's where we all sit today. It doesn't matter what our family looks like. But here's the truth about all of our families, regardless of what they look like. Each and every one of our families, almost without exception, began in the exact same way. There was a guy who met a girl, right? And and then they may diverge a hundred different directions after that. But all of our families tend to begin in the exact same way. There's a a man that met a woman, there's a guy that met a girl, and they began a family. And again, then all of our stories diverge, but they all have that, almost without exception, in common. And that's what I want to focus on today as we begin this series. It's what I'm calling the first relationship, that relationship that gives life, that brings into being the rest of the family, the relationship between a guy and a girl who brings into, into life a family. And again, we realize that every story can go differently after that. And some of those don't stay together. And some of those people need to offer that child up for adoption. And it's claimed by another family. But we're talking about that first relationship, the relationship that brings life to a family. And the reason we're talking about this relationship, the relationship that brings a family into being 
is because this relationship has an uncanny influence, a disproportionate influence over every other part of your us, of every other part of the family. And to show you what I mean today, we're going to look at the first relationship ever, going back to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Now, some of you, you can turn there, it's really easy to find, it's at the very beginning of your Bible. Um, But some of you know the Genesis narrative For those of you who might not know it, uh, we're going to look at a couple, the first couple, Adam and Eve, a man and a wife, they were created for each other. Now, I know there's maybe a a time in your life, if you're married, that that you looked at your spouse and and you thought, man, you you were made, this is a match made in heaven, you were made for me, and that's, you've since realized that's probably not true exactly, right? Um, but, But for Adam and Eve, this is actually true. They are a match made in heaven. God created each of them for each other. And they're living out their existence, the beginning of this us, in a beautiful place in this garden paradise where everything is perfect. But then we're going to look at this place where a tempter comes into the garden. And he begins to plant doubt in Eve's mind first. He begins to plant doubt about a boundary God had set in this garden of life. In this garden of life, God had set a boundary and he said, there's a tree that will bring death. Everything will bring you life except that tree. It will bring you death. Don't, don't, don't eat from it. Don't eat from the fruit of that tree. And this tempter comes into the garden and he begins to poke holes in that and make Eve wonder whether that's true. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God set a boundary like that? That doesn't make any sense. Maybe he's holding out on you. Maybe this is actually something good that he's just telling you is bad because somehow he's trying to keep you from something good. Now, in my life, every temptation that has ever been believable has begun in the exact same way. Something that God has called bad, man, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe it's actually good. Maybe God is holding out on you. You should try it anyway. And uh, Eve hears this. It begins to make sense to her. And that's where we're going to pick up now. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, this forbidden tree, was good for food and pleasing to the eye, right? You know, God says it's going to kill you. And she's going, I don't think so. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's what the tempter said. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, maybe you've heard this before. Here's what I want you to focus on this morning. I want you to focus on how, in the beginning, I want you to focus on how together these two were. How united they were in everything. Right? We find out that Adam's right there as Eve is being tempted. As she's being tempted, he's right there. He's in, it. he's in it with her. They both take the fruit. They both examine it. They both eat of it. They both at the same moment realize that they're, that they're naked. They both run off and take a sewing class together and figure out how to make clothes. Do anyone remember home economics? I mean, does anyone know how to make pillows anymore without home economics? I can make a mean pillow in home economics. I learned how to do that there. So so they learn how to sew clothes together and they cover themselves. And I want you just to notice how together they are in all of this. United, united, united. The two will become one flesh. That's how it was for them in the beginning. And that's going to last for a moment longer and then something else happens. It says, then the man and his wife together heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they figure God is coming now to bring on vengeance. And so they hid again together from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And this is where, you know, together, 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 it begins to break down. It says, He answered, the man answered, 
I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Watch this. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from this tree. And, and yeah, you're right. Th- then I ate it. But, but, but she did it. So, so together, 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 and then in an instant, divided. And this couple who was, who was given to one another, created for each other with intentionality and purpose, who was to be the parents, who, to, who were to be the parents of every other living uh, person on the planet to begin, the, to, to, to be the, the beginning of this beautiful us. They have now turned on each other. They're divided. Man, that happens so quickly, doesn't it? Uh, if you've ever been married, if you are married, you know how quickly this can happen. You begin your relationship and you just, you just are so excited to spend life with this person and you're so excited to build a family with this person and it seems like it is sure to be a dream. It's gonna be a fairy tale. It's gonna be perfect. You're gonna be so much better than all of your other friends who just got married. You're gonna have the best marriage and the best kids and it's all gonna be the best and, and, and you begin that way and it's, it's, it's so exciting and wonderful and then what happens? We get tired. Uh, for a while, I observed as a pastor um, way early on that people would come into my office and they'd be in marriage crisis and a lot of them would be walking away from their marriages and I would ask them how long they'd been married and I found that there was this window of about 12 to 16 years. I began to call it the danger zone, uh, the 12 to 16 years where relationships would just fall apart and I wasn't there yet so I didn't understand that. I was like, I, I, don't, I don't really get that. What's going on there? And I would even, I would even counsel pre-married couples. I would say, hey, you know, just be careful. There, there are a few danger points that I've just noticed where, where it just gets really difficult for a relationship to survive. Well, as of next week, a week from today, in fact, my wife Jocelyn's right here. Um, we will be married 17 years. So honey, I think we're coming out of the danger zone, maybe. Um, and uh, I think we can both tell you that, although that was kind of a mystery and I talked about it a lot, um, I think we get it now, right? Um, why, why in that period of life it's so difficult? And maybe there are other periods of life that are coming up for us that we don't even know. Part of the reason is that you just get tired. It's hard work to love someone. It's hard work to keep on forgiving. It's hard work to be patient. If God gives you kids, it is hard work being a parent to constantly be living your life for other people, to be pouring yourself out for other people. It gets exhausting. Here's something else that's true about marriage. Um, Marriage, you expect when you're getting married, you expect that it is gonna be the relationship where you feel safest in all of the world. And sometimes it is. But because of the intimacy, because of the closeness, because of the vulnerability that is inherent to marriage, to that kind of relationship, it is also the relationship that can be the the most painful. Your partner can inflict on you pain worse than anyone else. I mean, your enemies, they can, but they're your enemies. I mean, they can hurt you, they can say things, but, but, but your partner, they can hurt, am I right? They can hurt you like no one else. And uh, man, it, it can be painful, it can be difficult, and after a while, what happens? We begin with all this idealism and we're gonna fight through and we're gonna be this happily ever after story and then you get tired and you're looking for a break and you want something to change because you just don't feel like you can go on anymore. Or sometimes maybe it's uh, that we get selfish. See, there's another thing that unites all of us here in this room and that is that deep down, we all want the center of the universe to be right here, 
right? We really do want the world to revolve around us. And that's true of every one of us, whether you're a kid, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whoever you are, you're a single person, we all kind of want the world to revolve around us. We want our families to be about us. We want life to be about us. We want it to be about our career and our dreams and our hopes. And, and man, that, 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 can, that can drive a wedge into our, uh, our marriages, but also to our family relationships. And you see this from the very beginning. I mean, you, you hold a baby. At, last week I hijacked someone's baby. I'm not going to do that this week or two weeks ago, I guess that was. Um, you know, you hold a newborn baby and you just think, man, she's beautiful and she's perfect and she's so innocent. And, and you know what? You might imagine that there's not a selfish tendon in her body but watch how she rewards you when you focus on her, when you smile at her, when you hold her and you feed her and she's smiling at you and she's giving you the eyes and cooing and you're just like, oh, this is wonderful. And then watch how she turns on you when you try to take a shower, moms, right? You try to eat, you try to feed yourself. She will turn on you in an instant when your focus goes off her. She's, she's done with you. She's gonna make your life a hell, right? Because we all get selfish and this happens in marriages too. Or sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we just get confused. Um, I remember uh, hearing this from, I, I think it was actually my mom. Um, my parents, they had a rocky marriage and they're still fighting through and I'm so proud of them for that. Uh, but I remember there being a season where my mom, um, she, was, she was just talking to us as kids and she said, you know what, you will always be my kids. You're my blood. And, uh, and, and you know, there could be a day where, where your father leaves or we're not married anymore, but you're always gonna be my kids. And I heard that and what I heard was that, that oh, I get it. So this relationship between me and my mom, that's more important than her relationship between her and my dad because my dad could leave, that could go away, but I'm always gonna be your kid. And I've seen this time and time again in marriages, I've fought it in my own marriage, that uh, you start off life together and it's all about each other and then you have kids or maybe you have grandkids and life can become about them and you can imagine, you can imagine that your priority is to be on those little people because how else are they going to grow? How else are they going to thrive? And, and I remember the first time someone stood up and said, no, 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 if you're part of a family and if you're married, your priority, the primary relationship is with your spouse. And I remember thinking that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because she could leave and these kids are always going to be mine, right? See, it's so easy for us to get confused to think that there is another relationship or another responsibility in our life that is primary. But I'll just tell you, there is no relationship in a family that has greater weight, that has a greater influence over the entire family than that first relationship between the two people who began the family. And when that relationship gets divided when, when we turn on each other, when we start you know, playing in different, different teams and you know, like living different lives, when that happens, it brings disaster not only to the people within our households, but it begins to bring disaster to the whole world around us. I want you to see this from Adam and Eve. It says, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is, his, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Right? There's just blame flying everywhere here. So the Lord God said to the serpent, this is partially true, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. So he's, he's throwing down evil here. He's cursing this, this tempter here. And, th- and then he says something remarkable. Uh, you might see it in here detected. It's a promise. It's a word of hope. He says, and I will put enmity, enmity between you, serpent, uh, evil one, tempter, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So here in the middle of God bringing down, announcing the, the consequences of this action, he also makes a promise that one day born of Eve, born of a woman, there will come one 
who will begin to make all the things that are now wrong, he'll begin to make them right. And he will crush the head of, of the tempter. But in the process, his heel will be struck. His heel will be bruised. He will be wounded as well. It's, it's a promise of Jesus coming. To the woman, he said, look at this. Uh, I will now make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So because of this relationship, not just the relationship with God, but also the relationship with each other, because of what that does, now a couple things happen. The, the relationship with their children is going to be all difficult. They're going to come into the world, and they're going to be difficult, and they're going to be difficult to her. They're going to be, bring pain into her life every other day beyond. And there'll be some days of joy where they're smiling, but man, it's going to be a painful relationship. And the relationship with their husband's going to be different now. There's this beautiful egalitarianism in the garden and now it says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you and so there's going to be this power plays and patriarchy and all this other stuff going on in their relationship he continues to Adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat from it Cursed is the ground, right? right? The, the environment that you live in now the world that you live in is now cursed because of you through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. We think the name Eve just kind of means living. Um, so Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Uh, and now everything that comes from them is tainted. They'll have two children, a son named Cain and another son named Abel. And when they grow older, Cain, in a fit of jealousy, will kill his brother Abel. See, that's what comes out of this family now. And I can't imagine the pain of losing a child. I know some of you in this room have. But losing a child at the hands of another child. What a, what a painful thing. See, and what we can learn from Genesis and all of this is, is, is that as the family goes, or as, I'm sorry, as the first relationship goes, so goes the family. Say that again, because I messed up the first time. As the first relationship goes, so goes the family. That's why this relationship needs to be protected. It needs to be nurtured. Uh, my sociology professor in college, David Carlson, he used to say this all the time. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You've ever said that? You ever said that in front of mama? Don't do it. Um, she doesn't like to hear that. Um, although it's true, right? I mean, this is, this is what this is getting at. If you, if you can keep mama happy, there will be peace in the household. But man, if, if mama is not happy, it's going to be hard for anyone else in the house to have peace. Now, this is true of daddy, by the way, too, because I've known plenty of mamas who've moved their families across the country because daddy wanted a different job and thought, man, maybe, maybe he'd be happier working somewhere else or doing something else, and that would bring peace to the family. The point's the same. He used to say something even more profound, though. I used to say this to, to the guys in the class. He would say, the best thing a man can do for his kids is love their mother. The best thing you can do for your kids, dads, is not to coach their little league and it's not to you know, sacrifice and go on big vacations or pay for private school. The best thing a man can do for his kids is to love their mother. Why? Because when that first relationship is right, when there's love there, then it just kind of makes everything else in the house okay. 
And that's why this relationship, this first relationship, the relationship that gives life to a family is so incredibly important. In in, in the middle of of a crazy life where we're working and we're trying to manage kids and we're trying to manage friendships and all of this stuff, it's so important. This relationship is so powerful. It has the ability to influence every other part of your us. Now, here's what I know. Some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, well, that's nice to know, but it's too late for me. And I'm not unaware of, of you know, what, what goes on in our lives. I'm not a, unaware of stats um, that, uh, that in America, I think now, most of our households are headed by a single parent. And I know a lot of you, you're sitting here today and you've been through divorce. Um, some of you are, are remarried. And I know for you, this whole message must be incredibly confusing, maybe even guilt-making, and that's, that's not my intention here today. See, I've never been a part of a divorce or a blended family, but I have huge empathy for people who've gone through that. In fact, my two sisters are both parts of blended families and I see the tensions that they have to live with as they're trying to take care of their kids and then they've got uh, you know, their, their, their partner's kids that they're trying to love and take care of and, and they're trying to honor their new partner while still trying to maintain some sort of relationship with their ex and it's incredibly difficult, it's incredibly confusing, such a hard job to do. And in fact, this is why I believe God says he hates divorce doesn't hate divorced people, but he hates what divorce does to us. He hates all of the complication. He hates all the dynamic. Even when you've got a good reason to be divorced, even when you should be divorced, even when God doesn't find fault in your divorce, he's still saying he hates this for you. He hates that you have to now balance all of these things. But let me just say a word to you that, that even, if you're, even if you're a divorced person, even if you're in a blended family and you're trying to manage all of these different relationships, it will pay for you to pay attention to that first relationship. And by the first relationship, I mean the relationship that gave life to those kids that you have. If you've got kids, to keep paying attention to that relationship, it is vitally important. And I know that maybe he's not paying his child support and you're not taking him to court and there's all this legal stuff. Or maybe she just got engaged and now there's a man living in the house that you paid for, that she, t- she got it, she took it in the divorce and, and now there's a man living there and, and you're just going out of your mind with that. It's, it seems so unjust and so wrong and, and there's all of these tensions that are very, very real. But here's what I need to tell you. If, if you're in that situation and you've got kids from that relationship, then the best thing you can do to love your kids is to find a way to be at peace, to honor to respect that person you began that family with, even if, even if you're not with them anymore. And I know it's not all up to you, but if you can work your hardest to try to make that a relationship that is healthy, that is at peace, that, it is, that is whole, that will bring life to your entire family. And you know, this is, you know the opposite is true. Even if you're kind of not believing me on the one side, you know the opposite is true. Where there is tension there, where there's hatred, where you're bad-mouthing each other, where you're backbiting, where there's vengeance and there's all this you know, game playing going on. You know what that does to the entire family. You know what that does to your kids. You know what that does to your household. And so the best thing you can do, even if you're no longer with that person, is to acknowledge that that relationship still has incredible power. And I know it's not all up to you but you can do whatever you can, whatever is within your power to try to bring peace and respect and level-headedness to that first relationship. See, this, this first relationship, it is so incredibly powerful. And it's no wonder to me that, that this relationship is so under attack. 
by, by our lifestyle, by our choices, by temptation, why marriages are falling apart in record, record number in our society. It's no wonder to me that the evil one is coming at this marriage. That's exactly what he did in the garden, right? Made them doubt God, made them doubt each other, and the rest was easy. If you can sour this relationship, then you can negatively affect every person in the family. Not only that, you can begin to tarnish all of society. But here's what I want you to know. That God in heaven, he is fighting for our families. And that means he is fighting for these relationships. Whether you're still married, whether it's, it's a relationship where you're no longer married, but you've got kids together, God is, God is fighting for those relationships. We're not alone in this. In fact, I, I love the fact that God chooses to reveal himself to us as a father. Right? That's how Jesus talks about him all the time, not just because he's Jesus' father, but because he's our father. That's how God wants to be known. And, and, and that's God's way of coming to us and saying, even if, even if the us you grew up in, you didn't have a good father, you didn't have a father at all, or, or maybe your father died years ago and, and you feel like an orphan, you've got a father. And so God our father, he comes and he reveals himself to us as father to show us the way. And then he sends his son, his own son, to be born of our human family, to be born of a daughter of Eve, to come from our family, to be the redeemer of our family, to be the one who would bring, bring healing back to us, the one who would show us how to love and forgive and to persevere, because you know what? You're going to get tired, and you're going to get selfish, and you're going to get confused. It happens to all of us. And yet in the person of Jesus, we learn how to persevere and we learn how to sacrifice and lay down our life for the sake of people that we love. And we learn how to forgive even the worst kinds of offenses. See, God is, God is fighting for our families. No matter what shape they're in today, he's fighting to heal relationships, to bring health and wholeness because he knows that when a family is whole, as whole as it can be, even the, the picture that your family is today, um, that people will be whole and society will be whole. But I don't think this has to be God on God alone. And so I want to ask you today a final question. No matter what role you play in your family, I want to ask you this question. I want you to ponder this this week. What are you doing in your us? And whatever your us looks like, I know some of you are you're, you're part of a married couple, you're divorced, you're a blended family. Some of you are kids of people who are married or divorced people. Some of you, you're fully grown single people. You don't have any family around you to speak of. But is there an us that you've kind of connected with, a family or whatever you want to call it? Whatever position you play in a family, I want to ask you this. What are you doing in your us to honor and encourage the first relationship? Knowing that this relationship has disproportionate power over every other part of the family. And I want, I want you to ask yourself this question and pray about this this week. And uh, together... I would love to see us become cheerleaders and warriors for the sake of our families because there's nothing that can foster whole people and whole societies better than whole families. I invite you to pray with me. Father, I thank you that you choose to reveal yourself to us as Father. I thank you that... Um, even though some of us have not had great earthly fathers and some of us have never known our earthly father and some of us come from very broken families where we've not known either parent and, and, and our families look so different. I thank you that you reveal yourself to us as father. 
and you love us unconditionally and you provide for us and you teach us, you discipline us, you protect us and you lead us through life. Father, I I thank you for being that for us. Father, I, I pray that you would fight for our families and help us learn to fight for them too. When we're weary, when we're selfish, when we're confused, Father, fight for us. And we confess that we, we succumb to all of those things. We get tired and we don't want to work on our relationships anymore. Father, we, we confess that we get selfish and we want life to be about us and we make it about us. Father, we confess that we just get confused. We lose our way sometimes. Each and every time, fathers, we confess that we ask that you would fight for us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us. Fight for us when we're too weary to fight. Bring wholeness to our households, whatever they look like. Bring wholeness to us as people. Bring greater wholeness to our country, to our, to our, to our city, to our communities, to our world. Father, do what only you can, but help us join with you. We pray this all in Jesus. Amen. Please rise. Today, as we acknowledge our struggle, our brokenness, how, how difficult this is for us, God wants to acknowledge to you today that he's, he's in this with you, that you're not alone, that he is fighting for you. And that's what we have before us. We have bread and wine. And in, with, and under this bread and wine is the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And uh, this gift of God, the gift of Jesus, is our assurance that God hasn't quit. He hasn't given up. He's still fighting for us. And that uh, he's joining us in the middle of our struggles. And he is cheering us on and he's encouraging us and he's filling us with everything that we need to persevere and to forgive and to love and to fight for health. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood and it's shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Now do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.